All right, dude, you got to catch me up. I don't know. I didn't get a chance to listen to the show, so I don't know what I missed. So you did two without me. Like, I was like, you I think know I what? only. I think I just did the one without you, actually. Oh, I thought you did two. Didn't I? Well, I was going to try and do two, and then the uh, we had a lot of just extended family uh, struggles. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do I want to know about these? I don't want to know about that. <laughs> oh, it's all it's all health stuff. Oh, is your people okay? Yeah, yeah well, my father-in-law's or my I guess my stepdad is uh uh he's just he's just getting old. He's got dementia and it took uh, a turn for the worse. So Oh, I'm sorry. Just yeah, taking care of try, trying to help take care of my mom while she takes care of her husband. So <sighs> you know Man, I'm at this weird place where. <clears throat> so my mom, she's getting older, too, and I know I'm supposed to be taking care of her, but I'm trying to figure out how to take care of them when they don't want to be taken care of. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's. Yeah. Um, that's a challenge. And it's one that I didn't think would be like that complicated. I just like, okay, you're getting old and it's like. You have a, a son and you have kids and, well, they're just going to take care of you, right? And that's just going to be that way. But it's super complicated. It is, yeah. Yeah. And, and the, yeah. Yeah, and it's, and I think what's hard too is one of the things that you're caring for is how, you know, depending on the situation, is their uh, ability to to be independent, <laughs> yeah right so it, yeah and so that 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 comes in especially when things like you know dementia are involved that's one of the difficult questions that's always there is at what point do you go with the 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 care beyond what you can just offer as a family yeah and yeah. Uh, because the freedom goes away right at that point and so it's just as tough. It's just always tough, and you always gotta, um, you've gotta be. I think attentive is the thing. You just gotta be paying attention where things at, where things at today versus last this time last week. Where you know, and it's hard. And you got a whole bunch of people that all want to help, um, that all have a right to help. You know, that uh, mm. as the, the kids, and so keep keeping everybody, you know involved as much as you can and it's it's hard it's not it's no uh it's no joke no i think the freedom thing i'm realizing that that's probably the hardest thing to give up like my mom you know she mm -hmm. just had a her third stroke like that's a serious deal and so she doesn't have operation of the left side of her her body i think um she's got some operation now of her left leg but her left hand she can't really function and move and and so there is just certain things she can't do anymore. And I think the idea of coming to live with me gives her the EBGBs about there goes all my freedom. Right. And so, and there's something else too. I think that whatever's happened in the last, oh, 50 years, maybe more uh, with social programs and the so much help coming from the government she doesn't have to need me, right? 
Right. She doesn't. And this is something that I've, I've noticed even with the wealth and we don't pay attention to it until it. But there's welfare in more than just one way. We think of welfare oh, single mom. She's got, you know, three kids and she's on the dole or whatever. Or her family is just no, no, no. There's all sorts of different types of welfare out here that we don't acknowledge. And we've really made a big system of elderly welfare because with the elderly, we can treat them just like the kid, the abortion in one sense. We can push them off. We don't really have to see them. We don't have to really pay attention and give them some comfortable place to go die from. Right. And then right. <laughs> they can just wrap it up all to us and then send us their remains somewhere. You know, it's, it's like it's it's this weird the way we treat them is lost its is humanity. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and there's not the they there isn't euthanasia yet. Yeah. Technically. Right. But there is social euthanasia. The seed of it is planted. Yeah. Right. Well, and the, but the the you know, I mean, Paul makes such a big deal out of making sure that the widows are in church. That the, mm. that the older women, that the grandmothers um have a place even if there's no family if their family hasn't been able to be there because their wisdom is necessary mm. right? the church needs them they need the church but really the church needs them that's the that's the that's the social euthanasia that we've accomplished by pushing the old folks off into their own space uh is that you don't have that you don't have the wisdom you don't have you know i remember sitting with my um grandma uh making coffee right? and i was grinding the coffee and she was sitting at our table for i can't remember if it was thanksgiving or a christmas dinner but i was making coffee and she said you know what's funny um so this would have been 2005 maybe something like that to that she said you know what's funny is you guys pay extra for coffee you can grind yourself and she said i remember when we used to pay extra for coffee that came ground already right mm. and she said she said things go in cycles and it's all marketing mm. <laughs> she said you know what's coming back instant coffee because that's what came next for us and she was absolutely right the next thing next thing you know there were those little tubes of instant coffee that you could make yeah. one cup at a time and and the instant coffee came back and, and she said and then it'll be some sort of pre-ground coffee and the curing came right after <laughs> and i remember watching my grandma like a she's like a prophetess just calling for, it out but she she just but she just was she just was paying attention and i thought how many times it, the fact that i that we're two, you know, we're two states over from grandma. How many times did I miss out on this wisdom and this knowledge? And so we sat down and we recorded her telling her life story and, you know, everything that we could to make sure that we captured as much of the wisdom as possible, because this is that realization that that, that is the, that's the, that's what's destroyed, what's lost by the um, mobility of society and there's some there are other things that are gained right it's not like a but but um the the generation gap has been really destructive it's created a lot of foolishness that was unnecessary and it and it keeps expanding right so and there's this um i don't know this this concept of what freedom is that is tricking us right mm -hmm. so in 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 the pro life movement 
the idea of freedom is being able to kill your kids, right? Like it's the woman's choice. She needs to be able to have that freedom to make her own life decisions, right? I think for the elderly, the things that's that's separating them from the the youth is you're going to lose your freedom. Same thing. Yeah. You, you know, if you go live with your kids, if you move in with your children, then you're at their whim. You're at you leave when they want to leave. You do what they want to do. And now you don't have your freedoms anymore. And so then it's like, well, I want to keep my freedom. And 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 don't get me wrong. I do understand that you're still an adult. <laughs> like, I'm not trying to make a, my parents a child or anything. But when they have lost certain mobility, they need to have certain helps that are there for them. And I yeah. think that because of the government offering, like, for instance, they they offer met this metro mobility in Minneapolis where, OK, you don't have to worry about anybody coming to get you anymore. We will come and pick you up, drop you off, take you wherever you need to go. And it's covered under your Medicaid, Medicare, whatever that is. Right. And we got you. And it's in metro mobility is actually a really good thing. Could you think about parents who don't have the vehicles, who have a child that might have some sort of um, autistic setup or whatever? You know, they they can't uh, in a wheelchair. And so it's great to use. But then it gets used as a replacement for the family. Yeah. And so now, well, I don't I don't really need you anymore. Um, And so there's all these things that the a family would provide for their parents, for their um, the relatives, the government starts supplementing all those things and they become more united to the government's idea of thinking about the world rather than the local concept of mom's here. She's with her grandchildren. She'll die with us in our house, not in a house by anyway, she'll, she'll be here with us. My kids get the honor of looking after her, serving her, uh, loving her, and and the challenges that come along with that, and we look at these things of like, oh my goodness, these weights, this is such a challenge. Who's going to do this? Who's going to do that? As if like, throughout human history, we've never gone through, <laughs> like, right. like oh, we've never figured out how to care for our our parents. Oh, what have, what have we done? And 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 this this knowledge and this wisdom of thinking and understanding the world, um, you know, all the way up to eighty years old. And not having that imparted into your your kids from their grandmother, there's a and, so, and I I do think it's we often make the decision for based on economic for economic reasons. Yeah, that's exactly what I mean by all of the metro mobility yeah. stuff. Right, right. Where we we think, well, it's it's if I if I have to take care of them, I have to pay for it, mm-hmm. and you know we it was just. We were just talking, you know, Thanksgiving about how um, the that you've had this transition in in the boomer generation. You had the transition from a one income to a two income economy. Yeah, but they were the ones that were able to have two incomes in a one income economy, right? And so there's a lot of cash that they were able to to pull a lot of cash in, from that economy. Um, which was a blessing, but it left the next generation in a two-income economy um, with the cash availability much lower. So it's much harder to pull cash uh, from this economy because the uh, cost of everything is so much higher. You know, when they 
it used to be illegal to to have longer than a one year mortgage, right? Uh, um, and then they switched it. I think around the, when they were coming home from World War II, they switched it to a seven year mortgage. And all that it did was cause the cost of houses to go up sevenfold, right? It didn't it didn't get more people into houses. It caused the cost of houses to go up sevenfold. Um, it did get the the, the it got the down payment down um which gets more people in the houses i guess but but now we have 30 year mortgages and all that did it did it is you know quadruple the price of houses again so that that cycle is is happening and each time that we give in to the short term economic gain we lose the, our children really lose uh, economic gain in the long term and um, because of that, we're now in a generation that is living very much, much more hand to mouth than previous generations, but at a higher standard of living. Do you, right? so I, I guess we've what, got a higher standard of living, so we don't know how to lower our standard of living in order to save money. Yeah. yeah. We don't, it's a skill we don't have. Right. Generationally speaking, some people do, but. For the most part, as a generation, we don't have the skill to lower the standard of living down to something that makes it possible to save. And so we don't prep. But, you know, like my wife and I were able to put all of our kids through school on a single income. And so we look back and think, well, we did make enough money. It never felt like it. It was never seemed like it. Right. But we did make enough. I mean, there were times we got behind on payments and had to catch up and all sorts of things. Um, but it's a uh, over the the long haul, we did make enough, and I think that's because God is the provider. And when we make the decision to do the thing that He calls us to do, He's always going to provide. And I think when it comes to taking care of parents, it often it doesn't look like it's going to work out on paper. But right. we forget that when we do the thing that God calls us to do, that he's going to provide the means for it. But does anything you ever do for God look like it works out on paper? <laughs> hey, I'm going to get you out of Egypt. Well, let me run those numbers real quick. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we don't have any chariots. Uh, we don't have any soldiers. We don't have anything but a bunch of slaves. So tell right. me how you're going to do this again. Right. Well, right. I'm going to save you from Pharaoh's chariots and we're going to cross this Red Sea. Well, sir, I'm sorry. We don't have time to build a bridge. They right there. Uh, right. <laughs> you know, it never works. And and that's, you know, that's the hard part about it is like, okay, if you're trying to work it out on paper, <laughs> stupid thing. <laughs> ah, if you're trying to work it out on paper, um, and it just never works. It just never works. Um, okay, so you got you to gotta catch me. Were you going to say something? I didn't want to interrupt you. Well, no, just just that <laughs> I was just just thinking about the number of places in my life right now where we're against the Red Sea. Yeah, that's a good encouragement. Like, oh yeah, yeah, we're right up against it. Yeah, a rock and a hard place. All right, so you got to catch me up. What did you talk about last week? Because you said you only did one. I thought you did two weeks because I was out for two weeks. Yeah, but I I really I'm pretty sure I only got to one. So, um, what what I talked about was. Um, let me just get the name of it really quick so I can remind myself. You've gotten so uh, comfortable doing this. You don't even need me anymore. <laughs> well, here's the thing is it was much shorter 
and and uh, w- but I don't know if I stayed on topic. So I talked about the shape of resurrection. Oh, um, and just the the pattern that you see throughout the Bible of oh death and resurrection, um, kind of just that. death and resurrection. That it what it's not just something that happens with Jesus, but it's that that when you learn to read the Bible literally, um. L- learn to read it as literature that there's a literary death and resurrection theme that happens over and over and over that we often miss because we're when we say we do word studies so let's talk about resurrection in the old testament we do a word study about resurrection but if we read we can see that there's a literary pattern or a storytelling pattern um, a, a callback pattern to death and resurrection all throughout the Bible. And then once you see that um, and then see it fulfilled in Christ, um, then you can start to see it in your own life as well, the way God draws us to resurrection through death over and over in our just in our sanctification, in our family life, in in our economic life. You know, uh, the 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 times that Aaron and I have gotten way behind financially because of car wrecks and uh, you know, the, the uh, hospital visits and huge hospital bills. And and then the way God has pulled us out of that and, and raised us that those are ways that he has transformed uh, us and our family and, uh, and uh, given us, wisdom or i guess faith really is probably the bigger uh, one, those two the, things uh, hope-filled faith those two things aren't separate and that's something that you taught they're me they're not yeah they're not separate but they're different ways of actually looking at what's going on well i remember when we first started talking a couple years ago about this i called you and i was like jason man i need wisdom and you were like well get ready to die I was like, what? And you were like, you don't gain wisdom apart from death and resurrection. All wisdom is a form of dying and rising, right? That's, and I remember like, I almost started crying on the phone with you and I'm like, yeah, I don't want to hear that. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I, I remember, oh, yeah. I, I remember that. And I was like, yeah, I don't want to no, I don't want to hear that because I, th- when you're going to face death, there is a part of you that knows it and you don't want to go through it and right. and you have those garden moments like Jesus except you don't come out on the other side usually <laughs> you don't come out but like lord not my will but your will be done yeah 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 no the holy right. spirit usually beats you knocks you out and drags you into this one you like yeah what happened and it's like i just <laughs> killed you and raised you back to life like oh oh well thank you lord <laughs> so when you hear the lead, the lead pipe, the Holy Spirit is dragging your way. Yeah. And you're like, oh, okay, Lord, I know I need this. Here it comes. <laughs> but you don't, yeah, you, you don't think, oh, this is going to be great. I mean, there is no, you know, there is no um, rejoicing in that. And, and it seems like in some sense there should be, right? Like there right. should be some like, oh, God's about to give me some wisdom. Do it, Lord. Do what you got to do. Right. You know, and that's that's I think the, I mean that that was something that Aaron and I have talked about this a lot when we were young, when we, you know, before we were married, when we were even when we were just friends and you know in the same Bible study, and uh, 
one of the things that why why we were uh fast friends when we first met was that we both had that whatever you need to do lord do it to make me holy mm. whatever you need to do lord do it to make me wise that attitude and when we met and i not really met other people that had that attitude but right. that and so i was like this girl's amazing but my uncle the bible study that we were in together before we uh, got engaged my was uh, my uncle was the pastor and and he said when you're young pray a lot that god will give you wisdom throughout your life because you don't know the process yet and so you can pray wholeheartedly mm. when you get older it gets harder to pray when you understand the process of gaining wisdom yeah so you want to keep praying it throughout your life but when you're young ask for wisdom because that because the process is painful um and you know so he, he he's the one you know i was i don't know 19 at the time and he's maybe 20 and he's the one that taught me that that all wisdom is resurrection wisdom um and we both we prayed that a lot when we first got married asked for wisdom constantly lord whatever it takes we want wisdom whatever it takes we want our marriage to reflect you whatever it takes and that and the number of times we've said yeah he answered the whatever it takes part You're right <laughs> Right. <laughs> Apparently those roots were deep. And so he needed the long, sharp shovel, um, you know, but he digs those wells of joy with the same shovel. Mm. You know, the, so if he's going to dig out the roots uh, of, uh, of deep seated sin of long term generational habits, you know, all of that, it's the same shovel that he uses to dig the wells of joy. So you really get, uh, it's the only way to either of those things is the long sharp shovel of of the holy spirit i was um oh what was it it was something james jordan has said about oh yeah he said um if you ask god for wisdom always expect a baby to be split in half like that comes after asking for wisdom right like there's always <laughs> a baby split and coming when you ask god for wisdom it's like <laughs> okay yeah, that's what happened to Solomon, right? He's like, yeah, ask for God for wisdom. It is. But but the, the thing though is that Solomon knew that he has some crazy folks to deal with. <laughs> right? right? He's like, Lord, these your people, I'm gonna need to deal with them. If you want me to deal with them, I'm gonna need wisdom to to deal righteously and justly with your people. And and the the thing that happens to him right after that is two women come to him with a baby and they both claim it's theirs and one stolen. It's like you got to fix that problem. It's not like, oh, you guys go figure it out. That's not, you can't, this yeah, is why with parenting, I think parenting is like, when you look at our all of our current problems right now, all of them, all of them come back to parenting. Every single last one. You can tell that some people in politics, in the culture, in business, had the kind of parents that just said, y'all just leave me alone. Get over there and figure it out. I don't really care. You can tell. Like, that's exactly the kind of parents they had. And so then they're going to figure out how to manipulate, how to connive, how to not have to deal with their brother honestly in order to get from them what they want. Because their parents didn't care about justice. And it shows. <laughs> it shows in every way. And so if we can, I've tried in everything that happens with my kids, small, big, large, to really deal with every small problem as a form of conflict resolution in the moment. How do yeah. we 
solve the problem justly, whatever it is. She took my this. Okay. Like, was it yours? Can we identify it's yours? Do we have any witnesses? What did you say? Let's get the whole story out. And so I find myself taking a lot of time working through very childish problems. And you know what happens? Almost every time I get on or get done with that and I get on social media, I see the exact same thing. Like nothing has changed. And it's like, oh, the wisdom that I need to operate in culture and society and politics and, and rhetoric and all that stuff is right there in a daily form in my home and raising my children, discipling them to love the Lord. Nothing changes, right? Nothing changes as the, the, the problems that present themselves, they have more drastic consequences. But the more that, but the, the, the way I'm able to deal with these things at a very young age, and then by the time my kids, you know, we get to a certain age, we get into some double digits, they start becoming little forms of justice themselves, right? They're like, okay, this is not right. We need to solve this problem. Somebody needs to confront this. Like w- when my wife and I leave and we'll go somewhere um, for the whole day, lunch and dinner, we'll come back and they'll have little courts that they've had where the oldest <laughs> of judges and they have witnesses and they're presenting and they come back and say, hey, mom and dad, we had a little problem. This went down. So we had a court about it. So-and-so was wrong. So they apologized. And so everything's made right. We just want you to know. And I'm just like, <laughs> all that work, all that laboring yeah. in the early parts of this um, has created a certain culture of justice in the home. And so now I'm like, well, how do you produce that outside of the house as well? Right. So not to take anything that's so small and just be like, oh, whatever, get over. It. I don't really care about it. And say, how do we how do we have conflict resolution in a biblical way that presents to everybody else, to the world and to the people, to the victim, how God sees justice being worked out righteously? Right. And so anyway, I don't even know how I got into all of that. I don't remember what we were talking about. Wisdom. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Wisdom. And so anyway, man, that, th- those things. Every problem I'm seeing right now is when, when, have you been paying attention to like Spake Gate at all that happened? A little bit. I've been, it's been a really busy few weeks, so I haven't followed it. I, I, I heard that something was happening. But. Okay, man, let me tell you. <laughs> so, <clears throat> you know, um, there's an old clip that somebody fished up of Nancy Wilson telling that she spanked her daughter because when she came to the house to pick her up, um, I think it was, was it Rachel or I think Rachel Becker, one of them, uh, was like, oh man. And she's like, oh, hey, wrong heart here. (laughs) Like mom's here. It's not the way we act. So she just disciplined her, said, hey, when mom comes to pick you up, joyful attitude, joyful heart, and so on and so forth. Anyway, this clip went absolutely bonkers. I think it was like three million views. People are talking about it everywhere. It's just all over the place. And I said, so growing up in the culture that I grew up in, I didn't know how far spanking has diminished in culture. Okay. I just assumed that, yeah, duh. Like, you know what I mean? Like in, in black culture, it's not yeah. even a question. Like, you know, you listen to black comedians, the spankings, some of them were beatings, were just part of the common form of disciplining your kids. That was just normal. Hey, you know, right. mama's shoe coming through the, the kitchen and hitting you in the head. Like, it was, yeah, that wasn't a spank. But I'm just saying, like, getting spanked from your parents was common. That's not even, if we met a kid 
growing up that didn't get spanked from his parents, we didn't trust that kid. Right. Nor- it showed. <laughs> it showed. And we knew good and well we couldn't trust his parents either. Right. Like they're a pushover. You can get whatever you want out of them. They ain't going to do nothing to you. Right. And we just. And so people went bonkers all over spanking. And so I started observing like, oh, snap. As much as I know the problems in the home are the, the issue in our culture society, I didn't know how rooted it was into mother, father, children, discipline. I didn't, I didn't know it was, I knew it was bad. Like I knew it was bad. But I didn't know it was that bad that evangelicals right. are the ones that are complaining mostly about, you know, the spanking. Like, no, we don't do that. I mean, it was largely Christians. Well- did they just do they not know what the Bible says, or do you think they have explained it away yes. as Yes. They know what it says and they have explained it completely away. And and wow. they've have they've imagined they've come up with this imaginary concept of the rod didn't mean this is metaphorical and all these other things. And I'm thinking like <clears throat> so then there's no reason it's no it makes it, sense. Actually though. like metaphors are less true or something. Right, yeah. Because <laughs> And you don't, you don't want it to be a metaphor. You want that one. To, yeah. Yeah. yeah, a metaphorical rod is much more painful than an actual rod. You vipers, you whitewashed tombs. It's just a metaphor. <laughs> it's just a metaphor. What he actually means is, I love you. I love you very much. Bruh, why did I think of that one? That is so because it's less true now because it's a metaphor. It's less true because it, it's a metaphor. They didn't mean for you to do yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. if you got a wayward son, don't throw a party. It's a metaphor, people. It's a story. When he comes back to look, don't don't throw a feast. It's a story. Don't go celebrating <laughs> if it comes back. No, Just nod your head. Good go job. back to the garage and work on the car. Yeah, like a that, good dad. <laughs> I've watched so many Christians excuse and. Say no. That's that's a, one of the crazy things. Like that's abuse. I'm thinking, what's abuse is about what's to happen to you once that child grows up. Now that's going to be abuse. Yeah. <laughs> it's abusive not to discipline your children and raise them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. I mean, they act like that the Bible doesn't. I mean, anyway. So all of this stuff boiling up in social media. I just was surprised, and I shouldn't be. I'm inside of politics and the culture constantly every day but watching christians give up basic christian priestly duties right yeah. like, like that that's one of the things that you know we've been talking about priestly duties what's one of the things of a good a, a priestly duty is to lift your children up to the lord right right and and, and disciplining them and when the and the tr- to teach them what the real world is like i mean i think uh, that's that's the you the you set your home up in such a way that it's a reflection of the world they're going to find when come they on. get there come on and i think that's what is not happening if there's no discipline now you can talk about there's different forms there's different methods of discipline sure. there's there's a you know all of that like i think that's a wor- that's a worthy conversation when when it's among people trying to to figure out people that are going to say and when i know what the right one is i'm going to do it right right yeah like i'm trying to figure out how to raise kids and so we're discussing 
what does discipline look like? What does he mean by the rod? Is that, you know, the, um, when the, those, what, what actually, you know, is, is all of that? Um, how does that apply in our modern day? And you know, like we used a, a flat wooden spoon. It was pretty, pretty straightforward. Um, but the question uh, about it really comes down to um, is, is, are my children being raised in a world that reflects the one they're going to find when they leave it so that they're wise, they're mm. ready for it. They know mm. how to live in the world that God made. Right. And that's the, that's what wisdom really is. It's skill in living in the world God made. And if your home doesn't have, if they're completely protected from pain, they're going to be unprepared for a world that, smacks them constantly because <laughs> the world is is a painful place to live in and there are certain kinds of pain that you want to avoid and certain kinds of pain you want to lean into right there are certain kinds of things that lead to long-term destructive pain and there are um and those things when they're little they should learn to avoid them from short-term non-destructive pain right um you know pain that you know, a sting for a moment uh when you flick a kid's hand teaches them to not touch the oven um, and then Ugh. if you if you if you say well it's abuse to flick your kid's hand he's like well no it's my it's abuse to to not teach my kid that the oven is hot i mean right it's, it's, i mean it's not it might, it might be abuse it might be neglect it might you know it, it might just be something you it just might be an oversight too like i burned i've got, I've got a scar from when i was little where i burned my hand really bad on the oven and i remember it um, I reached up, I grabbed the oven and I had, I, you know, it was, I, I, I had lived in the home where I was well, really well taken care of. So it's, it just, it, that happens too. But, um, the reality is there are certain things in life that are like grabbing the oven. And if you don't mm. get disciplined away from those things with short term pain that goes away in a moment, then you have to deal, they're going to have to be disciplined by the world's rod which is much more painful and much more long lasting. So much to say about that. Uh, because I remember they used to say in, in growing up, either you discipline your kids or the police will. So you decide which <laughs> right. one you want. So right. you teach your kids how to act in public or society in society or somebody else is going to. And that's what people don't understand about the correction system right now. Like it's a form of parenting because other people aren't parenting, right? right. Like that's and they've turned the civil. Uh, well, I, yeah. Anyway, there's so much to talk about. That. Okay, so we're supposed to be talking about marriage, but what or no? Well, I was gonna say, really, what the chapter is about is how to how to be human at home. Oh, so we're already in it. So we're really already talking about it. So then the the courting dance is what this chapter is. Oh, by the way, everybody's asking me, like, somebody said, I wish you guys had show notes. You know, we do, too. We wish we had show Well, we don't. <laughs> so here's the book, An Offering of Uncle. Uh, offering of Uncles. Uh, is it, I can't see it. It's too or, reflective. The Romance of the Word. Okay, that one's a better. That, that's probably well, one this, one's, this one's just available, although it's out of print now, too. My gosh. Oh, is it? Yeah. I don't I, understand why these, but I, I think it's because they you print three together and you can't print an inexpensive 
copy. Like all the C.S. Uh, Lewis and Chesterton are both going back into print in the singles in the yeah single paperbacks, and and that's what needs to happen again with Capon, but well, it's not in I think public what, domain yet. I, I think what's going on is more complicated than that. I don't think that we have the wherewithal to read like we mm. used to, and so we can only that's take a good point. Smart, short pieces and. Our focus is very limited, and and they what they need to do, I mean, if they're trying to get people to just read it and get the content in, I don't know if this changes thing is making them all audiobooks, right? Yeah, like that's what they need to do. But so I open this chapter up. I wonder had, if anybody would even notice if I just recorded an audiobook and put it on Audible. Only once you started making the money, then they would notice. Yeah, yeah. Then, then they would and, notice, and then I would be like, "I just did this so that you uh, guys yeah. could make it happen." That, so all the money is yours. I'll give you every penny I earned Happy. from it. Yeah, it just, just needs to get out there. Yeah, that's what I, you know, and because I don't, <clears throat> I've been really, man, Jason, you kind of opened me up to this, but I've been really pondering ways to be a good priest in my house, you know, and, and oblation, you know, the lifting up. What does that really look like for each one of my kids individually? What does that look like for my wife? Um and then how much of when I start thinking about this, I start thinking about how much of what I have that's broken and dirty or, or like it's not necessarily good, but I understand something proper. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I understand yeah. the idea of being a good priest. And then some of my metaphysics are broken. Some of my this is messed up. Some of my that is messed up. And so it, it makes it hard. It's like, well, do I wait to get all this fixed or how do I start? But I feel like I need to start lifting up and oblating right now, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, and so there's a complication in, in that. And he kind of just opened this up and he showed kind of the areas that I think, well, I don't believe what I'm about to say. I still function in the reality of this. Uh, nonetheless, and that's when he was talking about um, reductionist fallacy. Yeah. Right? Like, I don't believe. So, would you, okay, so what is reductionist fallacy? Well, so the reductionist fallacy is when you say, when you take a part of a thing and say, this is the whole of the thing. Right. And so he says, he uses some examples like thoughts are electrical, are, are merely electrical impulses. Right. right, And he says, there are electrical impulses in thoughts, but they're not merely electrical impulses, right? That's a reduction um, to, that's a reduction to what a thing is made of so that you're no longer really describing what a thing is because you've taken uh, so much of the substance away. So, uh, and it's, and we're always reducing things down because um, we can interact with something as in its whole but we can't describe something in its wholeness because the wholeness of a thing is usually much bigger and broader than what we can describe. This is when, you know, why you start slipping into the language of poetry when you're trying to describe something. Um, this is why Song of Solomon is not a, is not a uh, science text, but is an extended, you know, a long poem because he's trying to encapsulate the wisdom uh the gaining wisdom from a wife. What does it look like to gain a wife's wisdom, uh, gain, gain a woman's wisdom to you as by marrying her. Um, so the, the reductionist fallacy you know, is, you know, even, even the way we do our astronomy, when we say, um, th uh, 
the stars are merely giant balls of burning gas, right? Um, that is, we're reducing it. That's what they're made of. It's not what they are. Now, you, we can, re, uh, as Christians, sometimes we reduce things the other way when we say something like, um, oh, you know, this this painful thing you're going through. It says, well, God means it for good. Right? We reduce it down to the, um, just to its, it, it's, it, its end purpose and we lose, but, and then you know how unsatisfying that is when somebody says that about your trial, right? They're not going to say about it, their own trial. Usually sometimes we do then we're, when we're trying to be stoic, but um, <laughs> that's not, that's a reductionist fallacy that says um, the end is the only part of the trial that is, uh, that is substantive. Everything else is extraneous. Oh, um, wow. So we the reductionist fallacy is something that we run into all of the time. In metaphysics, it's usually the materialists right now that do a reduction that run a reductionist fallacy. I don't like what you just made me think about. <laughs> you know, this is mm, okay. I like thinking about the other way. I don't like thinking about how I do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. Like, oh yeah. But I think, un, I think that that we should always, whenever we're running into something, um, we should always be saying, "How? What does it look like when I do that?" Right? Um, that's just part of, I think the 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 way that we grow um, is by when we see, man, that error, that guy's error is doing this, and you say, "Well, what what are the ways that I do that?" Because it one it draws you towards people rather than setting people up as scapegoats, um, and it also is a opportunity for some self knowledge. That's not something that comes natural to me. I've had to learn that mostly through marriage. <laughs> Don't we do this with everything though? Where in order for us, like you said, with poetry, we do it. But it it seems like with poetry, we do it to be able to hold on to the whole of it. Right. Yeah. But it seems like the way that we the way we reduce things now or deconstruct things or whatever is either to not have to hold on to it at all for what it actually is or to only hold on to the parts that we can grab. But it seems that. You know, that's how that's the way we re reduce everything now, like the way we reduce human beings. Yeah. And I and he he mentions, you know, that. If you reduce them down to their chemical compound, they're worth like a buck thirty-seven or something like that. I remember those. I, you know, I remember when um, people used to think that was a really uh, fancy argument for atheism. Um, but really, it's just a logical fallacy. That and I can do logical fallacies too. Um, it's that's actually not hard. <laughs> it's being logical is much more difficult. Um, so you run into this, uh, but you do run into this a lot in apologetics. Um, when people you in Neil deGrasse Tyson, this is what makes me so angry when I listen to him. I, he's one of the few people that really gets under my skin um, because he just runs. It's just fallacy after fallacy after fallacy. I'm like, somebody get this guy in a logic class um, or at least help him know that there's such a thing as a fallacy. Cause he just sits there and, and runs fallacy and it's always with 
well, actually, science tells us. And then he runs some fallacy, some logical fallacy. You're like, just because, you know, you can't just claim the authority of science um, and say, and run a lot. And that undoes the fact that you just stated a log logical fallacy. So, so, um, so, so go does, ahead. would you say that science just kind of tells us what a thing does? It kind of deconstructs, but it doesn't tell us what a thing is. I mean, right now, the way that science works is it is a purely physical, um, you know, it's an empirical, meaning it's just, just things you can get, just information you can gather by the senses. It's an empirical investigation uh, about uh, what, a th what a thing is made of and its functionality, mm. right? How, how it does things, physically speaking, so that you can then predict what is what a thing is going to do when you use it in a certain way or you know so the um it's a forward facing a future facing empiricism the way it currently functions and if you just use it for that it actually is a fine tool it's just a very limited tool right it's like um you know a hammer is great whenever when you find nails if you find a hammer and what you actually have to do is if all you have is a hammer and what you have to do is run uh, plumbing, then you're in trouble, right? And metaphysics is plumbing and science is a hammer, right? What a thing is can't be investigated simply uh, based on what, what a thing is, what a thing is for, what a, what a thing is intended to for, and, you know, the value of a thing, all of those, you can't run uh, science experiments to figure that out because it's it, it's more of the of a uh it's a historical so it's backward looking instead of forward looking question it's and then it is a question about the nature of things and you don't empirically have access to the to the nature of things through uh, empirical processes so then it was, is it safe to say that all final roads of metaphysics is is religious right you yes. have to have special revelation in order to be able to have a true understanding of metaphysics well the you have to have um religious convictions religious assumptions to get to metaphysics so not there are people that have religious that they're using religious assumptions but they don't have special revelation right and that's where that and that they becomes an apologetic they hit and miss with those, right? Yeah, yeah. That's an that's an apologetic question, philosophical question, right? So, um, but but the they are fundamentally they're religious in the sense that they are assumptions by faith, right? Right. They're the assumptions that you assume that you rest everything else on top of. There's no way to get to rationalism rationally. You first have to have a religious conviction about the the trustworthiness of rationality and it's <laughs> and um and there's a couple of different definitions of religion and you know there's uh the the one i'm using is that something is that it's a belief that's held by faith it's a belief that comes prior um and is held by faith the way that we as christians assume the triune god comes prior to creation the, the our assumption about the triune god is uh it's not something that you come to uh a, you come to th 
I mean, you might come to it through reason, but then you discover, well, my reason was resting upon the assumption of the triune God all along, right? So um, you meet the triune God. Mm. You don't rationally assent to the triune God. Right? Mm. So it's a, a different sort of of uh, knowledge. Um, I don't know where you wanted to go because I'm sure you have your own set of notes, but I just was, I haven't even finished the whole chapter. But one thing that, Oh, I was only three pages away. One thing that really hit me, I think it's on page 112. And he was talking about how the, he didn't say this, but it seems that it's almost inescapable that we are going to oblate, right? Like that's, and we're going to, um, and we're going to oblate each other in interactions with each other, whether we, um, intend to or not. So you're going to have interactions with other human beings. And if you're not thinking, of, he didn't say this, but he, he, he made me think about it. If you're not thinking about the, this well or have an understanding of what's going on, you can take moments and be a really bad priest in those moments, right? Where right. the oblating is happening and you're not aware of or in control or leading the 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 offering up the priestly duties it's just kind of happening on you and you're just being a bad priest or you can intentionally be involved in this and use those moments as a way to be a godly priest right and um and so oh how did he say this he said whether two persons come in an oblation that makes history however will depend on one uh, will depend on more than a common chronicle it will depend not only on what they do to each other, but on what they do with each other on the priestly and unpriestly offerings that they make of what that, uh, of, of what has happened. That is a great line. Yeah, it really is. I, and, and so I was just thinking, I'm like, Oh my goodness. I am missing out constantly on good priestly duties with people. Right. The, uh, 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 let's say um, like you talked about car accidents earlier, car accident. Somebody bumps my bumper, ruins my vehicle. I'm late to work. The whole nine is there. I'm so busy about what I have to do that I just want to get rid of the situation. Almost like I want to get rid of my kids when they bring me their little problems. <laughs> right. Right. Like I, I just need this to go away. And instead of turning into a priest at this moment and thinking about the other person, thinking about, <laughs> you know, um, the other people that are there and, and how to act like a good priest in that moment and lift this moment up to God. Like, I don't think about being a priest in that way. I think about this mess needs to get away from me so I can go do what I really need to go do. But as a priest in the world, there isn't anything that's happening into the world that I shouldn't be thinking about being a good priest in those moments as. Right. I don't know how to think like that. <laughs> it's it's the Is he getting it? Is that what he's getting at in these moments? That's exactly okay, it. Okay. Right. So it's and it but I, and I think it's the question of is this person a means to an end for me or is this person an end as somebody made in the image of God is this person the Am, am I so he he says we can't treat people like watermelons, mm. right? A watermelon you can pick up, you can 
you can use, you cannot use. If it if it sits too long and goes bad, it's no big deal. If it if you uh, you know pick it up and slice it and eat it, it's it's fine. And if you drop it and it breaks, it's just a watermelon. So the priestly duties of yeah. a watermelon are completely different than the priestly. Completely priest. different, yeah, because you're dealing with another priest. Uh, um, uh, right, and and that and that's where the um when you come across a, uh, another priest your priestly duties with other priests are different mm. um because you um are are if you're lifting up a person um you're lifting up somebody made in the image of god right so um it, it, the it it's a little like you know if you're if you're a priest of the temple the thing you bring to the temple to sacrifice say two loaves of sourdough bread right you bring two loaves of sourdough bread to the temple um, you deal with those things a particular way. You deal with the Ark of the Covenant mm. because that at the at the heart of the temple, a completely different way. Right. Right. Well, every person that you're dealing with is an image of the thing that sits on the Ark of the Covenant. Mm. Mm. You're dealing with the heart of the temple of the universe every time you're interacting with a person they're the image of god yeah you better shut up right so your priestly duties are pointed towards them right whereas you're priesting things you know not to themselves you're priesting people to themselves does that make sense am i making sense yeah yeah so because, what was that was that so priesting I, I see, um, you know, he talks about in the book, uh, you know, you take an egg, right? And you mm-hmm. oblate the egg, which means you're taking it and figuring out all the wonderful, beautiful uses of this thing. What is it and what is it for, right? And you're figuring right. out that, that, that reality. And so, yeah, you scramble and, them, you know. You scramble them, whatever. But then you take the egg and you put it in front of your child. Yeah. The purpose of the egg is to move towards that image of God in service. I see what you did there. Right. So the egg isn't just to figure out all the fun things the egg can do. The egg is for another priest. The egg is for another priest. It's to figure out all of the fun things that you can do in order to lift that up before God by putting in front of an image of God, by putting it in front of another priest. Even if that priest is your own mouth, right, is your own self. Well, yeah, and actually that then you start thinking about with marriage and that because as you are um well I was I was with uh Reese and he was talking about this. He was talking about altruism versus egoism. Um and you know, I it, it took me a minute kind of the the conversation that's been I wish people would talk more about the things they wanna say and the Christian nationalism stuff. Versus then about the talking points that people have given us to spout back and forth with each other. Right. Because I think if we actually talked about this, I know this sounds like a far way out, but I'm going to get there. Because um, if people talked about the things they really want to talk about and say the things they really want to say, I don't think they would come off the way that they do. Because the way that people talk is they know that they can get underneath people's skin, either talking about adoption or talking about um, uh loving your own and all those are buzzwords that we have 
in order because of the history that we've had to make us say, oh, that person's a racist or that person's a this. And, and so they know they're not, but they know that those are buzzwords to catch us. And so they use them to get all the attention, but then they don't mean the things that those words convey. Right. Right. And so, you know, and so with um, egoism and altruism, we don't understand that seeking our best interests is actually seeking the best interests of others. Um, and so if we go too far into, if it's only self-interest, then you're doing it wrong. That's all what, right. what extra egoism um, uh, where you are. The whole purpose is you, your understanding of how to love someone else. Well, is usually is, is designed to understand your own self. What is, what is it that is good for me? Right. What is it that brings joy and happiness? And I seek to make sure that others can experience that same thing. Right. But you have to know what that is. This is why the Bible talks about no man who loves um, his wife will ultimately harms her because he wouldn't harm his own self. Right. He this not a right. separate thing here. But the definition of loving your wife well comes from how well you love yourself. Right. And so those things don't have to be. um Rivals. Folk, rivals. Exactly. There yeah. is a lovely paradox in that. But the way that we are currently taught to think is loving oneself is bad. Right. Um, and this is this is kind of a I think this is all culturally. I don't think this is just in Christendom. We act like loving our um, ourselves is good. But that's the um, extra egotism. Yeah. Um, that's not real egoism. And so. Uh, but what we do is we say, so then you got to give all this stuff to everybody and you have to have absolutely nothing and everything needs to be absolutely equal. Right. <laughs> it's like that's the only way that everybody can truly be happy. And it's like, well, no, actually, you've been able to have your own to develop, to work, to give, to take care of your family. All the things that are defined by loving someone else is really defined by how we love ourselves, our spouse, our kids our family, our community, our ch our church, our community, and so on and so forth expands out from there. And so when we're talking about um, a priestly duty, you yourself, like it's always works back to the item, self-government is the most essential part of all of this because if you don't understand how to govern oneself, you can't understand how to then love someone else well. You know, and so learning how to be a priest to even feed yourself is like, yeah, I need sustenance. Otherwise, I don't make it. If I need sustenance, they need sustenance. Okay, I really, and I find this with food that I love. Like, I love doing smoked food. And so I, I'm the first person that gets to taste my food. I remember uh, Gordon Ramsay says, every good chef tastes his food first, right? Because he knows it's good and he wants people to take joy in that. He doesn't want them to tell him, oh, this isn't good. He wants to know it's good, then he wants to share that goodness. And so, you know, it, I taste my barbecue and I'm like, oh, I have to let other people have this. Right. Here, kids, taste right. this. Wife, here, taste this. <clears throat> and so I become a factory of joy that produces joy for the benefit of others. Right. Yeah. And that, yeah, that it's it's the same reason, you know, you learn to get good at mixing drinks or you learn yeah. to get good, you know. It's not because I really want a Negroni that I that I make to make myself an amazing Negroni every night or something, right? You want to be able to say, "Oh, hey, I can make you this." I 
Yes. I can make you a martini. I can make you a Negroni. It, it, it's uh, it's for when people come over. Um, you know, if I'm drinking by myself, I just drink whiskey. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> hey, I'm not mixing anything. <laughs> right. Uh, the uh, uh, you know, it, it's it's a uh, a gift um, to develop those skills um, and to be able to you know to be able to uh, the one that I've been thinking I would really like to learn is wine pairing because I don't yeah. know how, I don't really know how to do it right um, and yeah exactly um, did you see that movie all uh, three of them uncorked oh yeah I saw that too. oh no. Yeah, the 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 new sommelier. Yeah, that's that one's on my list. What's it called? Is it- uh, Psalm Psalm three, I think it is sommelier three, but it has just the three L's there. I I saw a neat. I think they did a neat two. Can't remember if I saw that. Okay, one. that one was good. That's on bourbon. Oh, that mm. one's good. That one's good. right. Um, and but the whole the whole purpose is so that you know you know which wine to get for your wife for the meal which wine to get um, for uh, you and the guests when they come over, which wine to order when you go to a restaurant. And like, I, I feel completely unprepared in those situations. Um, and, and uh, you think well, that's, it's a skill that would be worth learning because it's a part of the good life. Like wine um, is always listed as a part of the good life all the way back, no matter which direction, no matter which history would, no matter which people would, no matter you know which direction you go into the past, when you, people start talking about the good life, one of the things they always talk about is wine. And here I am without knowledge in that area. So, <laughs> um, in fact, if we can find a sommelier for the, uh, um, university for the, uh, Oh. For the pub university, uh, then we'll get them all hey, we, signed up for a class. Let's talk about that real quick since you brought it up. Um, when is the class starting and where can people go to sign up for that? Because uh, we changed the date. Yeah, we had to change the date um, because it, it was slow getting people were slow getting signed up. So the new um, start date is the 5th. January 5th um, or December 5th? December 5th. Oh, cool. December 5th. So... Um, there's still time to sign up for apologetics or for uh, the mission of God for the family and um, get signed up. You get the access the day of, but also to the recordings. Um, and uh, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be a lot live, of fun. Though, I think we, right. This is a live. This is live. Yeah. yeah. When I think we just got over the number that we need for um, the family one to, to be, you know, where it needs to be to be able to go for sure. And I think we just need one more sign up on apologetics for it to oh, praise make God. sense to, to do the class. So, so um, the family one, is this, is so, this going to be in the family one? Some of this priestly stuff? Uh, yeah. Some of this priestly stuff is going to be in the family one. Um, let's see if I can just. Man, I'm read, sorry. I'm, uh, all, I'm all over the place. I'm somewhat in this book. I'm somewhat out of this book. I'm in. Just take go. I mean, I got questions for you, but feel yeah, free to jump. Yeah, we're going to be talking about um, the three spheres of Eden uh, and the way that God sets the original family up with Adam and Eve, and how that teaches us what our mission is now, um, and how to find the, uh, that mission. Then we'll be talking about the the um, 
covenantal and allegorical natures of the family. Um, he was talking about he, what, what the Trinity teaches us about the family, what the family teaches us about the Trinity. We're going to be talking about um, the fierceness of, of domesticity uh, and how uh, we're, we tend to think um, we tend to set things off against one another that God has uh, pulled together. And so uh, husbanding the home and gardening the land um, are, are, are thing you know, are the, uh, this and then raising up children to go out and conquer the wild. That's really the 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 family's mission, right? We we take care of the home. We we grow people there. We we build uh, cultures there. We build you know little cultures there. We we make it into uh, a place where wisdom is gained and wisdom is grown. And then we go out one sphere out to the land and we turn that into a garden and we bring home the fruits of that garden back to the home. And then we raise up children to go out and conquer the wild and turn that into new homes, new gardens, uh, and new children. Uh, so, uh, talk about that. And then we'll be talking about, uh, the, the, what, what, uh, that we're, we're raising dragon slayers and treasure hunters. That's what children are, um, in the Bible. Those are the, the, uh, things we'll be talking about. And then, um, we're talking about uh, heel stones, um, raising raising heel stones, raising children that are dangerous. Um, so, what what does it look like to think that one of the things that we're disciplining into our children is heel? Is their heel stones? Mm. Heel stones crush the heads of serpents and dragons and tyrants throughout the Bible. Um, and uh, so, what does it look like uh, to raise? Um, to to be willing to be the seed corn um, of so that our our to die to ourselves to raise up children that will go off and be seed corn, um, and then we'll talk be talking about um, wives as uh, dragon fire. Um, what is it? What is submission? That is really the, you know what we're talking about there, um, and uh, the. What does it mean, you know, when uh, when God brings Adam, uh, Eve? What what you know? What is what is really going on there? Um, because that's a theme throughout the whole Bible that we often miss. Um, because I don't think we know actually what submission is. And then we'll be talking about uh, wombs of authority. What does it mean <laughs> that your wife that your wife is an Eve? Yeah. Um, that she's that your wife is a what is it? What is motherhood? Um, and then uh, we'll be talking about uh, sex, wisdom, and the defeat of death, gardening the garden uh, of your marriage. Um, and then uh, yeah, talk some throughout about the death and resurrection of the family too. What, is, what does it look like to have a family that is constantly dying to itself rather than becoming an idol? It's going to die one way or the other, right? Either we kill it or Jesus specifically says that when we turn the family into an idol, that he shows up with a sword mm. um, to cut it to pieces, but it's because he raises it, it, raises it from the dead. So what does it look like to bear Jesus's sword towards our family and make sure that we're dying and rising again as a family? Is that a, um, is that a priestly duty or is that a kingly duty or is that a prof prophetic that, duty? That's, that's a prophetic duty. Um, ah. 
the the wielding of the uh so there because there's a civic wielding of the sword right. that doesn't bring life right that that brings justice um it brings life to the innocent but there's a prophetic wielding of the sword that is um you know that that uh hebrews compares it to joshua's sword in the land right he comes in and and the reason that the that joshua's sword um is used the way it is is because the land is being restored mm. um, so the the land has been overrun the reason the land was overrun though was because the the people who had the deed had been in egypt for 280 years or it's been 400 years since they got the deed um, to the land but then they've been in egypt long enough for other people to take over but they had the right to the land they they had a, a heaven sent deed that was so they uh the 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 people that said oh you're here welcome home those were the people that got to stay because they were acknowledging the deed um the, the authority of the deed well those uh would that be the moabites and rahab basically <laughs> yeah rahab the um there's there's just there's only a couple of them yeah but the um, but they, but Rahab, she acknowledges the deed yeah. and ends up becoming join, you know, joining the messianic line because of it, right? right. So, um, so one the, for them Gentiles, uh, though. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, we we were at, in Acts fifteen in church on Sunday, so was good it was good stuff. But the uh, uh, the I th I think the oh, so in Hebrews. Um, the sword that cuts bet uh, sharp is sharp enough to cut between uh, spirit and bone is Joshua's sword, right? He's just finished talking about Joshua coming into the land. And then he says, and here's, here is the sword. We tend to think that that's, that, that, that sword um, it is primarily something that we take and we point it at ourselves you know, and it's a sword of conviction, but he's actually talking about the the conquering sword of Joshua. Hmm. But instead of it going into the land, it's going from the land out to the world. Right? It's the uh, that the the word the the word sword is a prophetic uh, use of the of the sword, a prophetic use of the word as a sword, um, and it's one that goes out and cuts down the wilds and uh, so that it can be gardened. And um, that is the sword. That's the way the sword is to be used on our family, right? It's a, it's a cutting down of the wilds. Um, so it's the it's the uh, bringing to repentance, so that restoration and resurrection can happen. So okay, when is that? That's kind of a oh, quick, quick overview of the family class. December fifth, so, right? Yeah, yeah. It starts December fifth. And where can people go to sign up? Uh, FLF. At the FLF site, it's backslash university. FLF. Uh, oh, you gotta get that right now. I <laughs> know, no, I gotta look it up. FLFnetwork.com backslash university. FLFnetwork.com backslash university. Man. Okay. What else was it that you wanted to talk about in courting dance? Cause well, I think. So the the section where he goes into uh, the priestly approach to other persons, yeah. and then applies it to uh, a man courting a woman. Oh, I didn't get that far yet. 
Oh, okay. Well, maybe that's the one the thing to talk about next time then, because it's a. Oh no, we we'll go. I want that. Tell me about this. Well, this, well it so, makes sense because you know he's talking about. Um. Yeah, he talks about it must be seen in advance as an immense as an imminent oblation and it must be shaped accordingly talking about the fact that people themselves and relationships don't need to be looked at carelessly, but more of like, no, this is oblating thing. And so he, right. he's the, setting up for what people look like oblating together. Yeah, exactly. And so he, he, he starts off by saying, what is this thing that you run into? Right. Cause it's a, th- every person is a thing also, but he, he talks about, you know, that they're not an object because they're all, they're also a subject, right? So you're not just running into an object like um, you know, like a soccer ball, saying, "Well, what you know, what what do you do with a soccer ball?" Well, a soccer ball isn't a subject; it doesn't have a say over how you use it, right? Um, because it 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 isn't itself uh, having a subjective experience, but you're actually running into somebody that's having. A, the same sort of priestly subject subjective experience that you are and um, how you deal with that person um, is a, is a, is, is in a different sort of category because the kind of thing they are is different. So he's setting that all up to then dive into a man and a woman coming together. Right. And that, um, and this is where why it's so important that every man is an Adam and every woman is an Eve, right? You've got a priests and priestesses, um, because uh, you know I, I can't remember if I ever told the story, but uh, um, when I was down in Santa Cruz, there was a big uh, evangelical pastors luncheon that happened uh, once a month, and there were only a couple of churches that didn't ordain women, right? There's the Orthodox churches, the Roman Catholic churches, um, my church, and a Reformed Baptist church. Every other church in the county ordained women. And so I, I always tried to go out of my way to be the most polite, the most courteous um, to the women pastors because everybody knew that I didn't think that she was they a were real human. pastor. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. So, right. The, 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 you know, that, that I, I, cause we were the church that didn't ordain women and we had this, that reputation. And, um, and so I would go out of my way to be courteous. Well, there was a, an Episcopalian, a new Episcopalian, uh, woman pastor. And so I met her, introduced myself, you know, welcome to the County. Um, you know, it's, and trying to say, you know, tell me, tell me a little bit about yourself. How'd you end up here? And then I went to introduce her to someone. And I said, this is the new priestess of the Episcopalian church. And she got really, really upset, but I, I wasn't trying to be insulting, but in my mind, it's not an insult to call somebody to, for somebody to be a woman. <laughs> and she did not want to be called priestess. She wanted to be called priest. And I was like, well, but and I tried to explain, I was like, but why as a woman, would you want a, a male title? Doesn't that undermine <laughs> you? I thought you were okay with women's ordination. Are you not, you have to pretend to be a man. Anyway, it did not go well. She I'm, wasn't, no, I'm with her on this one. <laughs> no, nah, I'm with her on this one. I'm sorry, Jason. No, I'm with her on this I, one. She well, no, I, I get what she is saying. I, I just, I mean, I wasn't familiar with the, no, no, no. I think, uh, but I, I understand that she does have to pretend to be a man. Yeah, but 
any woman that is going to be that office, of course she doesn't want to be called priestess. <laughs> well, what she said is pagans have priestesses. Right. And <laughs> <laughs> <End> Episcopalians. <laughs> I said priestess. But you know, I was but I would but um the the idea that it's an insult. It's the same with actress. I don't think of it as an insult to be a woman. So why would it be a problem if somebody wa- wants to be if what? somebody wants to be what? called actor instead of actress? What? But and I get that there's history there and all that and uh, and that I'm that often makes more not aware sense of. to me though. Like that, that that makes more sense to me because there really is an office for an actress that that's a real office that's a real thing right yeah, yeah. but there you i've i've called the actor somebody act an actress an actress and they're like well i, I prefer the term actor I was, like, I was like oh yeah i it's not an actress isn't an insult it's not like you're lesser because you're an actress you, there's all sorts of roles that an actor can't play that only an actress can play yeah. um there's some things you want to tell me about you that i don't know <laughs> right but but when you're dealing with um, people, when you're de- you know whether they're a priest or a priestess in the courting process is incredibly important, right? And so mm. um, because you you're uh, you have different uh, different abilities between the two and different things you can and can't oblate, right? So mm. um, a man can't bring women uh, bring new creatures into existence right new people or doesn't grow people but that's a that's the a priestly duty right um that, that's something that and and this is you know the the priest and the queen priestess and queen um and prophetess are uh, uh are all kind of mixed together the same way priest king and prophet are mixed together that the role the roles kind of bleed into one another um but that kingly priest, that queenly priestessy duty of bringing new people into the world—that's the—that's um, that's a significant goal mm. in the courtship process. That's a, um, but it's a goal in different ways. You know, I never thought about it this way. I know that, I, you know, we've uh, we've as you're talking about this, I'm just thinking about the pro-life movement, the abortion situation, everything going to mirror the last fifty years. Um, and you just made me think about one of the things that we haven't really argued a lot or very well is that the priestly priestess duty of a woman is being robbed in abortion. We we have made the argument that I think rightly so. I'm not saying this is a bad argument, but we made the argument that abortion is murder. And it is. That's a real thing. Except that we're we're actually ruining women too yeah like we we've we've made them objects as much as we've made the child an object and we're ruining man at the same time as well because his kingly duty to protect his seed and his wife like we're, we we've removed all of the priestly kingly shoot every office duty of the person in the idea of abortion so that we've made no one human in the process right yeah you we've we've become priests to gods that require human sacrifice right and when the the gods and goddesses that require human sacrifice don't stop at the children you sacrifice your own humanity in the process but that's the other side Always. of it too is that 
when you do it the way that God tells you to do it, you become more human because, right? right. Because that's whose image you actually bear. Yeah, you. The there's a, a, a restoration of humanity. I mean, one of the things that I think is really interesting, like when when I was studying um, for a, a previous career, I was studying brain chemistry and brain science as a tutor of uh, kind of special needs tutor and studying brain chemistry, brain science, and um, having a baby physically changes everyone in the family, mm. right? The husband, the wife, the mom, the dad, um, they, the, the birth of a baby, it does all sorts of things um, to the body, you know, um, where all of a sudden your ability to learn new skills is like at a height, right? Cause your, 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 your brain says, okay, new skills to learn. It gets really soft and you, you can learn a whole bunch of new things. And that's why it, it feels sometimes like all of a sudden I've forgotten a bunch of stuff. Well, it's just cause your brain is back in learning mode, right? Um, it's, if there's a maturation that our physical body goes through just by having a child, um, uh, the, there's a glory that's made that that comes and is made possible um, in this situation, and I think a lot of times we say, "Well, it's that's not something that every single person gets," and so we have to be careful talking about it. That's a good thing, and you know, in the church, we don't want the single people to feel left out, or we don't want people that aren't able to have kids to feel left out, or whatever it is. Um, I think it's the same. It's the same reason that a lot of times people can't have kids, can't have kids. They go and adopt one they bring a baby home and then all of a sudden they can have kids <laughs> right right <laughs> because uh, we're not we are um interconnected beings our body and our life story and our history and our our relationships are all interconnected you bring one home one kid home and your body says oh okay i'm gonna change and now you're gonna be able to have kids and you know <laughs> I I don't know how to explain it, but I've seen it enough times yeah, I have to, <laughs> to I know have to. that it happens. Yes. Um, yeah. That oh. there's something ab about the the glorification uh, of the body in raising a child that um, is in inexplicable, um, but is beautiful and good, and it happens. Um, it, and because of our immaturity we want everyone to look like they did when they were 19 or 20 Yeah, you know, that we've idealized that before a child is born. Um, you know, when really the, there's not an ideal body time, time for the body, the, yeah, the ideal time for everybody is the place that it is right at that moment. Um, and that's what we should be you know, working with and learning how to use well. That's that's what he means when he says, courting in genre, um, in the wide sense, um, in the way of just general men with general women, uh, can't uh, hold a candle to courting in specie, um, which means that that man and that woman courting is much more glorious than men in general courting women in general sociology has a way of uh of gutting courtship of its glory when we try to think of 
men in general courting women in general rather than just enjoying hey look at that little adam going after that little eve <laughs> interesting interesting so why well I, th I think it's because the there isn't um a reflection of adam and eve in general uh, um, I in it. right Right. So it's uh, God didn't set the world up such. I mean, there, there are things where you're like, well, generally speaking, men are taller than women. Right. That's a generalization that and maybe that tells us a little bit about Adam and Eve, but we don't experience the Garden of Eden that way. Whereas you go to the beach, uh, you, you go to the, the lake uh, uh, in the middle of the summer um, and you watch that that boy get up the courage to go ask that girl to go get coffee and you're experiencing the garden of Eden an attempt at the restoration of the garden of Eden, an attempt at going backwards to the garden of Eden, right? This boy feels the garden of Eden, uh, hole within himself. And he sees that Eve and says, perhaps she is shaped it, the way that that, that, that garden of Eden hole is, uh, shaped. Maybe she'll fit there. And he, and he, you know, rushes out to get her. I, this, this is, I think, um, something that we don't know how to do well as parents to help people help our kids, you know, um, work through you know, these, these sorts of things. Um, because it's a dangerous thing. I mean, it's a, it, it's a, um, it's a, it's a, it's a learning by burning, sort of situation like hey how, how do you pick up a candle well you know you, you we can tell you all day long pick it up by that end but sometimes you're going to reach up and grab the flame end <laughs> um and you you uh, and when it when it comes to you know the young guy getting up the courage to go ask a girl out um a lot of a lot of young men in our society right now are pulling out are deciding to not it's not worth the trouble. Um, and, and, uh, it's a, it's a bad sign where right? something's really fundamentally broken when the guys won't even go ask the girls out. Um, so something that I think as a, as a church, we need to really be paying attention and working on. And it's also something that often, you know, the parents, um, don't know how to help their kids through it. And they don't have good enough relationships with the other adults or young adults, you know, twenty somethings in um, in their church to be able to go and say, "Hey, I need some help. My, I don't know how to work through this with my son or with my daughter." And you're closer in your memory to when you know, or you, and you're closer in your experience. You know, you're 22, my kid's 18, and you're married, and but I'm 44, and how do I help my kid like we don't have those relationships within the church oh my goodness the way we should as well Stop. So. Ain't, ain't nothing changed that much ain't nothing changed i don't know what people talking about ain't nothing changed and if it's changed no, I, I mean go ahead, <laughs> go but, ahead. but but the uh um well that the, there wasn't there there were no phones there wasn't there wasn't texting. There wasn't all that when I so when it's I was easier. Recording. It sh well, it seems like it should have, but it it hasn't worked that way. I don't understand. There's something about the distance 
um, there's something about the the availability of communication that has made it harder. But I don't know if it's the I don't know I don't know if where the uh, is she not where pretty? the she must not be pretty. It's just there's just no way she must not be attractive. I just don't believe it. I just don't believe it. I'm not I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. I think we got a a, a bunch of men that are cowards. I'm seeing women yes. asking guys more than guys are asking girls. And no, that that's true. But the availability of communication hasn't solved that problem. That's what I'm saying. Well, the ease of communication hasn't isn't solving that problem. So, what is it? that you know my like my kids are always telling me about like the way that i use punctuation in text messages is is not the way they do right there's there's a whole like punctuation thing I get that, that their generation that... gets that i don't get right so um so whatever whatever it is jason that's I got, I'm... making it more difficult no man i'm not buying it do you mean to tell me right now? I'm just not buying it. If you mean to tell me right now that if a young dude who was 17 years old saw a girl and happened to throw his jacket over there to her and land in her lap and then 30 seconds later walk over and be like, hey, you got my hoodie. What's your name? That wouldn't work. I don't believe it. No, it would, to- it would totally work. I don't believe it. But there, why, do you, so why when you look at um, – marriage numbers going down, dating numbers going down, the percentage of people that consider themselves not a part of the dating pool that are single going up. How do we, how do we explain all that? So, there's something fundamentally I, moving in the wrong direction. Yeah. But I think it's the guys, right? Like these jokers don't know how to hunt, man. They don't, they don't know how it's to, true. I mean, they just look, okay. Oh, I might want to go through all this. Look, um, I guess when when a man sees a beautiful woman, there isn't any limits to what he's willing to do to try and get to know her. And so I just I just don't believe that these guys have seen her yet. Maybe you know. And, so and I think there's two things. What, I think one of them is you're either not working hard to want to be there. So a man that's working hard to get on his game so that he doesn't have any obstacles in his way when she does come around, finds himself working toward her. Right. Right. That's one. Whether, whether he knows her name, whether he knows her name or not, like he's, he's making himself available and visible easily by working hard and engaging hard work. That's it. The second thing is, um, I just, if that guy sees her, it's game over. That guy is not going to be like, I don't know what to do. Or like, it's so different now. Like, you're in the same era. <laughs> what do you mean it's different now? So here, here is my – this is not pushback. No, please. I, I want the reality this is everyone that – young guys that want to get married end up married. Facts. It, Facts. It, it is um, – and and not always like there's always exceptions um very few but the, but it's it's pretty slender the exceptions now the ones that don't end up married what i have seen is they're not in a place where they can find godly girls 
Now, godly girls, I've seen a lot of them not married, and they're not they're saying, Where are the godly guys? And there's two kinds of those girls that I've seen. The ones that are like, look, you know, on there's all these guys on Instagram that are they're fit, they make a hundred and twenty thousand dollars a year. Um, they've got all of this stuff going for them and they love the Lord and here they are on Instagram. Why can't I find a guy like that? And that's all um, fake, by the way. It's all fake. Yeah. yeah it's all fake. fake. Instagram's fake. It's fake. In- Instagram is, is it's a lie. A lie. Um, it's like pornography or rom-coms. Yeah. It's a big yeah. lie. Yeah. Um, the, but the, uh, I understand from a woman's the, perspective a little more than I understand from a guy's perspective. Um, but here's the, here is, but you also meet guys that feel like, well, I don't meet up to that. And so I'm out of the dating pool too, because I'm not a guy, you know, I'm not a guy that can get a girl. I don't make 120 K I don't, you know, whatever. So I think that that Instagram problem hits both sides but it hits them differently you say i see Um, what you're saying so all of them are looking at this false reality of a guy and one is a cuck and the other one um believes a lie the guy's a cuck right right? he he, he's like oh i wish i could be him because he's getting all the girls right yeah and the other and the female is like oh where are these guys at right exactly so i think fake it's all but i think that the fakeness is the the um because you can say, well, look, there's hundreds of them on Instagram and you and people forget that there's you know millions of people on Instagram and you can find a hundred people like you know, that. Right. That, so you're like, well, that's, it's still point zero zero one percent. The difference is there was one in my high school. OK, right? you know, you might be onto something and maybe I'm bending a little bit to this because I think this might go back to the metaphysics that we were talking about earlier. Guys, when I was coming up in the culture that I was in. They knew something about women, regardless of how much money the guy made or not, right? Right. Guys knew that if they could talk, and if they could talk to you for just 15 seconds, they could pull you, right? Like, that wasn't a question. It didn't matter if he had had money or whatever. Like, I just needed. And so the girls who didn't want to get pulled by those guys refused to even engage in any vocal conversation. (laughs) Right. Like, no. He's dangerous. I don't. And so the 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 metaphysic of the of what men understand about women might have completely changed a little bit so that this new generation doesn't understand the dynamic and reality of a woman. Right. Um, Which is. And maybe 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 some of them do. The ones that are, are not so good do that. You know, this is going back to the garden. We got to be careful of what it is we let our daughters and our wives hear and engage with, right? There is a sympathy built into them in a unique way that can allow for them to err because of the sweet conversation that they can get, right? And so there's always a protection that we need to have and training that we need to give to our our women, right? Um, But the, the protection has to do with um getting that wisdom into them. Right. Well, I think that's right. part it's of not it. A, yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. So when they're when that's you know right. when they're young, I, I my girls would say, "Oh, can I have Instagram?" 
when they were young was like, nope. Yeah. No. Right. 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 You, you, but there comes a point when you think you've got, you do actually have to learn how to interact with social media. And so if the wisdom isn't getting into you to the point where you can say, okay, yes, let's do this. Um, I mean, my kids never did Snapchat, but the, uh, but there's a way to, there is a proper use of social media, I guess you put it that way. Yeah. Um, and, but it's something that they have to actually have the wisdom in them. It can't be an external, um, it, it can't just be an external avoidance. I guess uh, merely what, what I'm trying to say though about the guys is that man understood what kind of creature a woman was so that they knew it really didn't matter all the things they had or didn't have. If they wanted to create a relationship with them, they knew that was a possibility. Yeah. They knew it was, and they knew how to do it. I mean, this is why guys learn to play instruments. This is why guys learn to rap. This is why guys learn mm-hmm. to sing, became parts of bands. This is why guys learn poetry. This is why we got cars. This is why we dressed up. This is why we kept our beard shaped, our head cut. Like, we we did all the things because we knew um, our best pr- – how can we present ourselves best to have some sort of conversation just to get the conversation right. started, right? And so we knew those things. Guys don't know those things anymore. Like, those are not – like, they're I not, guess you, you – know, Yeah. Yeah, they're not, they're not being passed down. Um, Bro, I used to get a haircut but, every two – every week. I was keeping my hair f- sharp, bruh. Like I was, that was the, the other direction because oh. I would grew my hair down over my face because I was a punk rock kid. Oh yeah, well, so dude, that's what you were doing—the same thing, just the other way. But it's the same, same thing, just a different flock of seagulls. Yeah, um, you know that. So you got the cut, the cut short in the back and grow it down the front and along. Um, I just, I just, and, but and we used to have a name for the guys that just joined bands to get girls. You know, it's not not a name necessarily that you want to say over oh, okay. the recording. <laughs> But 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 we're well, like that guy. That name. They still have that name. Like yo yeah totally. They but that guy that guy isn't in it for the music. You know he's not in it for the. He's not in it because he's really you know rock and roll. None of us was. He's he's in it for the girls. I know we all knew that, but at the same time, some of us did also love the music. Yeah, but I mean th- those two things can go together. Yeah, like, yeah. Right. But we knew the better we were at music, the easier it was for us to be able to talk to girls. But I just don't know exactly. Like, so I guess. I don't think that di- whatever the new dynamic is, I mean, you can take guys from our genre and put them in this current state of things and they would clean up house. It's not, you know what I mean? It's, and I think it's yeah. because of what they understood. I mean, ugly dudes, ugly yeah, dudes. I think you were, I think it's because it was, it was so this is, we run, I run into this with all kinds of literacy and this is just fem, feminine literacy, right? It's just, it's the same, the same thing. That there is a social, if there is not social support for for somebody to become literate, then it doesn't really matter what happens at school. What do you mean? Right? Social if, support for them so, to become literate. So, um, if you have a kid, if you if you st- and this is a this is a problem that that you know I have friends that teach at public schools, elementary schools, and they'll say it doesn't really matter. Like I can work all day on helping them learn to read, but if their parents don't read. Uh-huh. And if there's no encouragement to read at home, it doesn't really matter. Right, like they'll right. learn to sound out words, but they'll never become literate. Right. And every once in a while, you have somebody that breaks that mold. But it, but the the rarity of when it happens actually proves the rule right. that that literacy is something that comes from home because the social support 
uh, of the community, of the family, the social support of the extended family, the social support of church, all of that is what's yeah. necessary. Yeah, that's yeah, to, to actually grow literacy. I think it's the same with uh, the relationships between men and women. Yeah, young men and young women don't have the social supports that we had, right? We um, we had all the movies, the television shows, everything was, hey, it's guys trying to win women, right? And sometimes it was, you know, a bad version of it. Sometimes it was a good version of it. But everywhere you looked, that was the, the, at the heart of things was, let's <laughs> go get a family started, yeah. right? And you had... You had perverse versions of that, like 007, some of the 007 movies and right. the other things where, but it was perverse versions of a good thing, right? Well, now there isn't even a model. The, yeah, there isn't a model, right? The e- even perverse versions of a good thing are not there. There's not even a Cosby um, so, family. There's there's nothing that's the full house. There's none of that. Right, right, and so because even with Full House, like every single one of those guys is always trying to date a girl. Right. And that's a big part of the of the uh drama is they all know that they've got a a, a this desire to be married. Um so but that's 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 gone. I mean it's it's like I remember um the the you know the discussions of uh the, that when Vody was saying uh Vody Bakum was talking about um the gag reflex when it comes to homosexuality, we should, there should be a, just a, a gross out factor, yeah, yeah. right. A natural gross out factor. And, and he said, um, and he, and he said, that's really, you know, w- what we need. And I, in that, and as, as true as that is right. As, as that would be an ideal, what do you do with a generation that doesn't have it? Mm. Right. And because mm. that's the generation now, Right generation that just doesn't have it um and whether it's through just the the um pornographic the 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 that's just, it's now. a pornographic yeah. culture it's everywhere it's unavoidable you um you know you've just it's just there uh the you there's that there's a, the numbing factor of that there's the uh, the push the the political push every direction you look um there's the 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 there's a a degrading um of the natural senses um that has that's just that's happened what do you do in that situation you know i think it it really the rest the church has to remember that it's it's been an incubator of broken uh of broken institutions since the beginning right it re it's been rebuilding broken institutions since the beginning. And now right now the family, I think is the broken institution that, that needs to be rebuilt and the church needs to pull it, pull the family in, incubate it, release it back into the world. You know, you're, you're, uh, you're you know, we took, we started this whole conversation off about how I didn't notice how broken we were. Right. Like I was looking around and, and we were talking about this with our, you know, I was talking about this with my mom and, um, just how much the welfare system has uh, affected not only single moms, but also the elderly um, and destroyed the family because it's removed them from the equation. So now uh, everybody's about their own freedom instead of about how do I pass on the knowledge that I have to the next generation so that they're, and here we are back at this again, where 
the family, this is right back to the family. I am sitting here wondering, like, how is it that these guys is because I were even the breakdown of not having a father who was there. I had uncles. I had other men who would do things like um, we would go out for dinner and there would be two young ladies over there sitting down eating at a Perkins next to us and who would hand me a napkin and say, you're going to go over there and act like their waiter. And then you're going to go ask them if you can sit down and have dinner with them. Right. This is what you're going to go do. What, 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 what do I say? How do I, this is what you're going to do. And if they say no, say thank you. And then you're going to pay for the meal and we're going to leave. It's like, okay, that worked. <laughs> like, you know, like, but, <laughs> right, it, but right. it wasn't what he was doing. I thought that the goal was to actually to get them. There's, there was that goal, right? There's, there's a goal there, right? But the, there was a bigger goal there, which was removing the fear for me to be able to go and talk to two young ladies who can think that I'm an absolute insane person, but right. to remove that fear, develop a, a, a reflex and a muscle to be able to talk and be fast on my feet, be able to engage and not being afraid of the opposite sex. Right? right. And once I learned that, that changed everything for me. Right. I understood what their concerns were, I understood what my concerns were, and then I could be ahead of them. And then, but I learned all this because of someone there discipling me, right? There were some things I learned from him that weren't good, right? <laughs> but, right. but, but it, it, and all the breakdown of the family being left to your uncle still was a safeguard, right? Right. In some way. And so, all that is now so far gone. You know, I'm in the middle of that generation. So you have mom and dad who are teaching their kids about their relationships and how to meet someone. And then and then when that breaks down now, I'm in the middle where it's like, OK, you got your uncle. Right. Like Miles Morales right. and his uncle. It's not really the greatest influence, but <laughs> right. he's there. But, but the kids now have YouTube, Instagram, right? <sighs> and I think that is something that. You, that we don't that that I don't think the church has done a good job of just saying like, hey, this is going to be tough. Let's let's study the problem and help them. Let's talk to them about it. Let's open up the conversation uh, because I think like the 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 he, even Paul says um, that the that the church is is supposed to be helping in this because. You you meet the um, the other you know uh, people of the opposite sex at church, and Paul says you know treat them like sisters and brothers and sisters, right? In all purity, um, the, the the there's a the church should be a place where you learn how to talk to the opposite sex, right? You learn how to to um, interact and and unfortunately because of fear and I think at the heart of it, we have not dealt with our own sexual guilt as a generation. Um, and I think it's now multiple generations that have not dealt with their sexual guilt. We haven't taken it to the cross, been forgiven of it, walked away from it. Um, and, and left it there so that we can say, okay, here, let me, let me help you. Let me walk through, let me tell you the stories of how we messed it up so that, uh, how we messed up so that you can learn those, learn that wisdom of that shipwreck. And we haven't done that. Um, and, and because of that, we're, we're sort of leaving a generation to itself to figure it out on TikTok, you know? Um, and that, 
I do really think that's a difficult uh, uh, that our that our kids are working through a difficult thing. A, a, oh, it's a they're you, they're in a hard situation. You've made it sound like that we're leaving our kids to figure out relationships mm-hmm. and sex by themselves with each other, but right, not right, not with, with us. Yeah. So the, and, and I mean this this is a it it's a it should be an open conversation in our homes right and open and 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 what and by conversation i mean like we actually listen to our kids talk about it hey this is the you know i met this i met this boy i really like him here's well why do you like him what's is his the, name are those... and his address <laughs> right is the you it um what what things about him do you like um, what are some things that you see that that concern you, right? What what do you th- what are things that you would think he would need to grow up a lot here or here to be able to be ready for marriage? What do you see, right? And help our kids learn to ask those questions, right? right? What we do is we tamp it down and say, nope, 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 don't go that direction. There's fi- that's there's you can get burned by that fire, right? And that's true. And our and and our kids might end up burned by that fire and hurt in those in situations and things. And, um, but we, we need to help them work through how, how to learn to be attracted to the right things. Mm. Right. And that means that there has to be an open conversation. If they're going to bring something up and then they're just going to get made fun of over and over for having a crush. You're being a bad priest. Yeah. yeah, they're never gonna they're never gonna bring it to you again. Yeah, right. They're, they'll they'll bring it to someone, but it won't be to you. Or maybe they won't bring it to anyone, and they'll. Uh, but what the it's a, um, but a lot of this is because I, we don't believe that we could help them, um, because we know we messed up. Uh, you know the that's a a, a whole gener. You know you you look at the and the, and and you know and. I, there is there. I think there is a good use of sociology. Um, I, I know he talks about the problems with it, but uh, you look at the numbers, uh, the numbers of abortions, the numbers of divorces, the mm, no, you know the numbers mm. of people raised in single family homes. There's another right? story and going you, on there. Yeah, you know that there's this there's this big cultural story and and um, that is that's going on and that we are affected by, even if we were raised in a family where there was, where there wasn't divorce raised in a family, you know, the, 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 the broader cultural influence is something I mean, we, we are connected to our cities, to our neighborhoods, to our, to our nation, to our state, right? There's a real covenant connection. Um, and so us working through those things um, with our kids is a blessing, not just to us, but it's a blessing to the broader uh, uh, to our broader people as well. Uh, all right. So <laughs> next time, but it is it, it is hard because you know who wants to, it, it's. I just want to like stop it. This is not that hard. You know what I mean? Like I just maybe, and this is where I'm not being a good priest either. I just like this is, yo, really. Here, here's here's what I think that I think we do this as adults and as parents teenagers their world is pretty small yeah so when they have a problem it's the whole world the it's their whole world right um and we think 
if we had that problem, it would be so small compared to how big our world is, right? It wouldn't fill up very much of our world, but it still fills up their whole world. I don't know. I've and then when we learn media. to just take them seriously, <laughs> help them work through their pro- that problem, which yeah. is s- small but fills a lot of their world, then when their world is bigger and they run into bigger problems, they will have gained the wisdom they're supposed to gain from that problem, you know, that J- issue. Jason, that's exactly what I was talking about earlier on it, with, yeah. with the discipline of your kids. When they bring you something says, they stole this from me. Like, that's their whole world. That's like that's world. it yep. and we're saying that, your your world doesn't matter go back over there and figure it out whatever and so yeah. we create the kind of people who are going to have you know their whole world is always um that one thing is going to ruin their whole world because we haven't showed them how to have wisdom with that thing right or that area yeah. so it really how does deal, start and deal with the problem and put it behind them and yeah and and, and, yeah. and you know the right conflict resolution but we haven't we haven't so then by the time they become teenagers we've already trained them to believe that this is the whole world right and so right we've done we've discipled them in 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 one way already okay man we can talk there's so much to talk about with this and it's so connected to priesthood um w- next time we're going to walk into the marriage stuff more in more detail is that what you want to do well i i mean i would Love to just f- finish the courting and then talk about um, the the next chapter, which is uh, the the historicity of marriage. So working through uh, marriage and children. So one thirteen to one twenty one, and then oh, the historic bond. The historic bind is. I like historic better. Historic. <laughs> um, okay, we can do that. I love this. Uh, this is this is man. The approach of man to man is precisely a dance, an according dance at that. None of my meetings with another man is a mere event, either in his life or mine. Everything, every introduction is an invitation into an uh, other's meaning, a terrible opening of one history to another. In friendship, love, or alliance, we enter inexorably exchanges, um, rendering death and forever. At each breathing, dude. He's such a good writer, dude. But that's the thing, like, man, I got to take that seriously. And when, when this is as we were talking about this, I was thinking, but this makes it a lot easier to evangelize people as well, because mm-hmm. when you come in contact with another person and you know that they're supposed to be a priest, it's easy for you to work through how they should be acting. And since you know you're a priest, you know how you should be acting, and then you know how to engage a situation properly between priests. Right. And so then you, um, what does the Bible say when you find a brother in fault? Like, you know, <laughs> um, who, yeah, who, you who are spiritual, spiritual. Right, restore Correct him. Correct him with all gentleness. Yes, right? And so we... It, it makes you think differently about how to engage every single situation, knowing that your job is oblation as a priest. Right. Right. And so anyway, there's so much to say on that. You got last words or. I mean, I just think that the, this is that when, when things are, when are, when things are broken at the metaphysical level, mm. right. You got to, dig all the way down to the meta to the metaphysical concrete uh, in order to put them right. 
and mm-hmm. and that's where I think that's where we are um, as a as a people and, and in the church and um, and that just it can be a joy to do that or it can be a uh, a frustration how come I didn't get taught how come how come I got how come I'm in this spot, you know, and, and we get upset at the previous generations. I see a lot of that online right now. The whole, I think the whole okay boomer movement is just frustration at the previous generation for um, letting things go so long while broken, you know, um, it's like you knew we had a broken leg. Why did you let us run a marathon? I don't understand. I, I can't. The, the it'll never heal, right? And um, but they're not doing any the, better than their their predecessors, right? Well, well, some yeah, and I think that that that's where why we have to start thinking about we got to start thinking like historical creatures and say, okay, let's change course, and the same way that their course led to this spot the previous generation what course do i want my my what where do i want the next generation to go which direction do i want them to go and us changing course um some sometimes it helps us directly quickly but it really helps the next generation to dig down to the metaphysical concrete put the put the foundation right and um really take a long term directional view on these things and not think how do i get what i want out of my marriage quicker Um, and think how can my grandkids marriage be affected by the way i change course right now 